Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Water Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast, but this is also our Christmas Advent series called The Promised King. This time of year, I love for the fact that people all over the United States, as a matter of fact, all over the world are singing praises to my king. Maybe he's your king. But this time, they may not even know they're doing it, but they're worshiping the Savior. This time of year, we're going to do a series on Advent as we celebrate the coming King. I hope you enjoy this series. Tune in over the next several weeks as we talk about the promised King. So we're going to continue, obviously, on this Advent series. And I set out to... I set out to discuss with you all or talk with you all today as we are looking at the king promised to look at the life of Christ. So last week we looked at the promised king and why why he needed to come. Remember and he was we looked at the fall of man and the need for a savior and what his purpose was in restoring us back to relationship with God, back really to the garden, but in a different sense than the garden uh, that Adam and Eve walked in. Is this thing crooked? Is my stand crooked? Now it's not. That was better, isn't it? And uh, anyway, so I set out this week to, I guess I'll just talk over here for a little bit. If you need to adjust the camera so that I'm in it, you may do that. Um, but I... Um, so why? So, there's no one on that side of the room. So we're going to talk on this room side. So anyway, and as I was looking at it and studying and really contemplating what God would have us look at today, I really thought that instead of just looking at the 33 years of the life of Christ, what we really needed to concentrate today is in looking at the life of Christ, we needed to recognize that he's still alive today. Amen? That's pretty cool. He's still alive and he's still reigning today. And as we look at this, we have got to understand in his life, in his reigning today, he is still Lord today. And if a couple of you or a few of you would recall that uh, back in around May, we talked about the Lordship of Christ and that is he Lord or is he just rabbi? Is he in charge or is he just teacher? And and I'm not going to reteach that message today, but I want us to look today as we look at him as Lord is this phrase right here in his lordship is if he is not your Lord, he technically doesn't sit as your Savior. Ooh. Think about that for just a moment. If he's not residing as Lord of your life, he hasn't saved you from anything. It's kind of something to digest for a moment. But today as we look at his lordship, I want us to look at him in three lights, three pictures. Maybe we could say in three offices or or even bring it down to three themes of who Christ is. And the first one, we're just going to dive right in. And our, our passage of Scripture, I'm going to jump all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Gospels, Epistles, Prophets, everywhere. We're going to be all over the Bible today. But if you want to open in your Bibles or in your 
uh, apps if you want to, just to hang out with me in Hebrews chapter 1. That's going to be our primary text for today, Hebrews chapter 1. And we're just going to look at verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to come back here over and over and over. I'll spend some time over here and over there, but all the while coming back, uh, we'll call it our landing page, so to speak, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you'll look up also at the screen with me, we'll dive right into verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. So just breaking this down verse by verse for just a moment so we get a little bit of an understanding of what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to focus on for just a moment. We see here that really all he's doing is saying when you look through the history of which I've been talking to my man, my people, I've been talking to them through prophets. That's a lot of sentence and complexities to say for many times For a long time, really, I've just communicated to man through prophets, through people that are who were ordained by me to talk to you. Verse two. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So, for a long time, I spoke to you through appointed men. Now I'm telling you, I'm speaking to you by my son, who was with me, who actually through him I created. The world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the world, word of his power. After making uh, purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I spoke to man, to man. Now I speak to man by my son, who through him I created the world, and now he's sitting with me. Verse 4, having become as much become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So let's look through these first four verses of the book of Hebrews and let's break it down into three themes, three offices, or really we could just say three pictures of who Jesus is as we see his, him being alive even today. And the first one we're going to look at him, we're going to see Jesus as prophet, how Jesus reveals God to man. Now, we've got to break this down. Now, this is more teaching and, and a little bit of theology today, but I want us to see how we can see Jesus as a prophet, but I don't want us to get confused about who Jesus is because I'm not comparing him to the Old Testament prophets because they were Flawed. They were simply men used by God, where Jesus is God as a man. Um, the Old Testament prophets were subject to man. They were subject to their voice and their flaws. The Old Testament prophets, well, let's just think of it this way. Um, there are other religions out there that even see Jesus as simply a prophet. Uh, Muhammad recognizes Jesus as a prophet but not as God. Um, We can also look at even the discourse between Peter and Jesus when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And and Peter says, well, some say you're a prophet. And, 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 And Jesus says, no, but who do you say? And he says, well, I say you're the son of God. The son of the most high. And, and in that God or Jesus says to him, well, upon this revelation, I'm going to build my 
church. So we know that there's more to Jesus than just simply prophet. But the Old Testament prophets, if we can kind of get an understanding of this prophet according to Old Testament terms, we've got to look at Acts chapter 3 for just a moment. As Peter has come out from the upper room, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We've Looked at this a few weeks ago. Tongues of fire have ascended. They're speaking in other languages. There's a great power that has come upon the disciples to be witnesses. A great boldness has come upon them. And in verse 17 of chapter 3 in the book of Acts, Peter says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets... That his Christ would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen, that prophets, that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those that came after him also proclaimed these things. Peter here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 15. But we've got this understanding that the prophets of old, even Moses, is all looking to the day, prophesying to the day of the coming Messiah, of Jesus, speaking to him, revealing, trying to reveal who Jesus would be, that Jesus would come. The Old Testament prophets are pointing to Jesus. You see this idea of what the Old Testament's role would be. As a matter of fact, in looking at Jesus as a prophet, Jesus is the ultimate communication from God. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophets would come to the people of God and they would say, repent or else. Right? They would say, repent or I'm going to send this to you and, and, and this calamity or this bad thing will come to you and, and turn from your wicked ways or else. And, and all of this was sent that Jesus needed to come one day and walk this earth and die the way he would die and resurrect and ascend to heaven so that the or else wouldn't be something we would have to deal with. Do you see how all of the Old Testament prophets, their purpose was to bring about righteousness for mankind. Jesus as a prophet, even though he's much greater than a prophet, the ultimate part of him was to bring about our righteousness. So there is this element of Jesus the prophet, and he is the ultimate communication from God. Now in the past, looking at the prophets, God used many avenues of communication. For example, Moses was spoken to through a burning bush. A great avenue in which God spoke. And Moses is considered a prophet. Isaiah received a vision in the temple. Now, there's an interesting story. I, 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 it's probably not totally relevant to here, to, to the overall grasp of the message. But I think it's just interesting. And I want us to look at another way in which God communicated to prophets in the Old Testament. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn with me to Numbers 22. It's not going to be in the slides on the screen, but that's okay. Numbers 22. We're going to start at verse 21. And it says, some of you may know the story, many of you may not. And that's great if you don't know the story. It'll make it even more fun today. And it says, so Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey. 
and he went with the princess of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the anger of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her in the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards as well on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. This is the second time. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn around, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw that the angel saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. This is a third time. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Do you hear who's talking to Balaam? A donkey. And Balaam said to the donkey, now just imagine this conversation for just a minute. Balaam says to this donkey who's talking to him, because you have made a fool of me. Do you, I just imagine this picture. Because you've made a fool of me. Like it's, it's this conversation isn't making a fool of him already. He's, he's going back to the actions of this donkey. And now he's talking back and forth. Like Dr. Doolittle here is talking to this donkey here. And saying you've made a fool of me. I wish if I had a sword in my hand. For then I would kill you. Uh, the donkey talking to him isn't enough to wake him up. To cause him to have some kind of a a coming back to his senses. And then the donkey says to Balaam, I am not your, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all of your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed down and fell on his face. I just get this interesting picture in which God will use anything. To speak to his people. And lest I ever get to the point that I think that I am so amazing and so awesome. That I get to stand up here and talk to you and open God's words and and speak on his behalf to you. Let me remind myself that if God can do that through a donkey. Surely there's nothing special about what I get to do every Sunday morning with you all. So don't ever think of me higher than I am. And don't ever let me think of me higher than I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. So anyway, just an interesting story. And, and uh, let me just remind you something about God's word. God's word's not boring. You are. Just, just, just think of it that way. So we've got in regards to Jesus and the things in the past. The ultimate communication and the prophets. God uses many avenues. And these promises in the past were foretelling. They were foretelling of what is to come. Hebrews references again to Moses as we talked about, as Peter talked about in Acts chapter 3. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, By faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the 
child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then in 23, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, listen, the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Even in Moses' day, even long, long, long before the days of Jesus, even Moses was looking to Jesus as the greater reward. Even then, he was looking to, he was being told by God that there was a greater coming. And his name, we find out later from another prophet, his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Moses was looking forward to Christ. And then in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that or what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You know, I wish I had more time because I could, I could break things out to you and I could show us where Micah was showing us where Christ would be born. And David was telling us when he would be born. Isaiah was telling us what Christ would be called. Malachi, who would come before him. The prophet, prophets in the Old Testament all pointed to Christ. But now, today, I'm speaking to you in Christ. Now, in Christ, one agent of communication, all focused on the Son, not foretelling any more of a promise to come, but fulfilling all promises. Jesus, the promise fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 1.20 When there is one who, or where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish of the wisdom of this world? That takes us back to our landing scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Look at this with me. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high you see he is the exact representation of God several weeks ago you all saw my dad stand up here and preach And as much as I'd like to say I am an exact representation of my father, as many times as I joke and say if you've seen the father, you've seen the son, as many times as I look at my dad and call him Block and me Chip, you have not seen an exact representation of the father when you see me. For even though I look like him, act like him, talk like him, I am still different from him. But when you see Jesus, according to scripture, you see an exact representation representation of God and I'm here to ask you this question do you want to see the glory of God do you want to experience the manifest presence of God do you want to know God and all that he has all of his riches all of his goodness do you want to be able to gaze upon the goodness of God I'm here to say today then look into the face of Christ because when you look into the face of Christ when you see Jesus you are seeing the exact 
representation. The very glory of God. Because Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him, talking of Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Do you want to see God? Then find Christ. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And jumping to verse 18 in John 1, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4-6. through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Listen, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. You see, we have in Christ the fullness of the glory of God. But let me make sure we understand that I'm not doing away with all of the aspects of who God is. For in this discourse today, in this teaching, in this understanding, Jesus doesn't do away with who God is. And Jesus isn't the replacement for the Holy Spirit. For He is one in part of the three. There is a Trinity. There is a God. There is a Jesus. And there is a Holy Spirit. There is God. And there is a three parts to the God. So let me give you a short review on the Trinity. If I may. And I'm sorry to tell you. That after what I speak. For the next couple of minutes. It will still remain just a mystery. And I won't be able to. Enlighten you fully. To grasp. And to be able to explain and even to be able to fully understand the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus as one but yet three separate beings. You won't be able to grasp the Trinity but I feel that it's important this morning to fully in my capabilities, in my, my, my minuscule little pea brain to try to just tell you there is God and He is three persons. And those three persons are distinct from each other. And we can see this when we look at the, the, the interaction be, between Jesus and John the Baptist. When Jesus, just before he goes into the wilderness, he, he comes to John and John baptizes the Son. The Spirit descends upon Jesus and then God from heaven speaks, This is my Son. And whom I am well pleased. So in this interchange or this exchange. We see all three parts of God manifested separately. But yet we know they are one in the same. For each person is still fully God. Jesus is 100% God. The Holy Spirit is 100% God and so is God. Wrap your brain around that math. No, don't. 
Acts chapter 5 even breaks it down to the point that when Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit, they lied to God. And we also know that there are three separate parts, but the scripture says there is only one God. So I'm sorry to tell you this still remains a mystery, does it not? It's not a contradiction. It's just simply a mystery. And I don't want us to try to simplify this to a cozy formula like, well, the Holy Spirit's like an egg. He's a shell, and the white or the runny part, and a yolk. No, he's not that simple. Or the Trinity. Oh, the Trinity, it's like water. Three separate parts. You've got water, water. You've got vapor, like steam, and you've got ice. Yeah, that's him. No. Or I've even tried, and in my futile attempts to say, well, I'm like God. I was made in his image, and I'm three parts. I'm body, soul, and spirit. No. They are three separate, complete beings, but yet they are all one and fully God. Yeah, I'm sorry, you have more questions now. Tough. He's the Holy Spirit, and He's God, and He's Jesus, and that's how He planned it. Because He somehow needs to interact with us in different ways, but yet in His full capabilities as God. It's not about changing hats and trying to understand the different roles. It's He has to interact with us. God couldn't completely vacate heaven so that he could walk earth. And Jesus needed to be with God in heaven so that the Holy Spirit could be our comforter and address us in different ways, but yet be fully everything he needed to be. And we've got to realize that God operates in a completely different plane and a completely different dimension. And to try to understand his dimension would be to take us out of the only dimension we can understand. And so don't try to understand it. As a matter of fact, there's a quote that I heard this week, and it says this, try to explain the Holy Spirit, and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny the Holy Spirit, and you'll lose your soul. It's okay to not be able to fathom all of who God is. It's okay. For he is a superior, speaking of Jesus, he has a superior identification with God going back to him as prophet, going back to him and trying to understand this, he has a superior identification with God. He is not just a prophet. He is the full revelation of God. Now, if time permits, if you'll give me a few more minutes, I've only discussed one of these three themes, pictures, or elements of who Jesus is. Would you give me a few more minutes to talk about the next two? They're not near as involved as... What I've gone through, I've taken eight pages of my 12 pages of notes. So if you'll know, notice I've just got a couple more pages to talk about the last two. And I, wanna, I want us to look now, if Jesus is a prophet and he reveals God to man, number two, he is a priest and Jesus represents man before God. As we look to the Old Testament, we recognize that the point or the purpose of the priest was to go into the very presence of God on behalf of man. And now Jesus is representing us before God, making it possible now 
where we can enter into the presence of God. And the book of Hebrews does an awesome job of referencing Jesus as priest. And I didn't want to go through all the time of, of typing each one of these scriptures out. I just want to point out some of these scriptures to you if I can. So looking at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verses 17 and 18 says this, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation. That's a big, big word there for our sins, a replacement for our sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Did you hear that? He suffered while being tempted, so he's able to help us when we are tempted. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Chapter 3, verse 10, look at this very quickly. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. He said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Somewhere in there it was supposed to talk about the priest. <laughs> We're going to skip to chapter 4, verses 14. I probably just wrote it down wrong, 14 and 15. So since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verses, or chapter 5, verse 10. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'll talk about that someday. It's pretty powerful. Chapter 6, verse 20, when, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become a high priest forever, again after the order of Melchizedek. 7.26 talks about it. 8.1, and 10.21. And there's many more references to Jesus as high priest. Going back to Hebrews 1, chapter 3, the latter part of that says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. This sitting down at the right hand references him as high priest in the very presence of God. And we can also see that as sitting at the right hand of God, it's like he's nudging him Got to get on the correct side. Nudging him in his side and saying, hey, do you see so-and-so? Do you see Bobby? Do you see Donnie? Do you see Nash? Do you see this person? Look at what's going on in their life. And he is making intercessions on our behalf. He is talking to God about you in great ways for his intervention. And as high priest, he had to. He died to obtain the blessings of our salvation, the, the purification of our sins. Hebrews talks about this book that I'm referencing today in the New Testament. It, did you know it talks about sin more than any other book in the Bible? Sin. It references sin. It points to sin. It talks about sin. Why on earth would I want to address my sin? Sin makes me feel bad. Sin doesn't lift me up when I have to address it. Listen, when we understand the severity of sin, we see the glory of the sacrifice that our high priest 
Jesus has made. The supreme revelation of God. He is the one who has taken all of our sin, our filth, our thoughts, the things we have done. He's taken those things upon Himself so that we don't have to sit in the ramifications, in the pain of what we have caused. You see, up to this point, in this sermon, in this talk, in this teaching, all we've done is talk about what Christ has done in the past. Let me conclude in the next few moments with what he's doing now. You see, he lives to apply the blessings of our salvation, the preservation of our souls. Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 25, the former priests They were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. We have a life cycle, right? Is it true? Like, I was born to die. Jesus was born to die to live. You see, there were many priests because they all had to die at some point. Verse 24, but he, Jesus, holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. So you can in either or you can enter the throne room anytime. You can go into his presence, to God's presence, anytime, because Jesus is there interceding on your behalf. Hebrews 2:18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He has been where you are. He understands how you think. He has been tempted the way you're tempted and he overcame it and therefore he can intervene and he can help you right where you are. He represents God. Or I'm sorry, he represents us before God. So as a prophet, Jesus reveals God to man. As a priest, Jesus represents man before God. And this is the big one. This is the climax. This is the finale. As king, Jesus reigns as God with man for all eternity. We've got to jump into Hebrews chapter 1, but all the way to verse 13. And to which of the angels has ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Who has the privilege to sit at the right hand of God? Only Jesus. And then jumping over a chapter to Hebrews 2.8. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing, 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 zero. There's nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Imagine the size of the universe. Just imagine the placement of earth and how it rotates around the sun. And if it was just a little bit closer or a little bit further away, we would either burn up or all freeze in an instant. If its axis was off just a degree, nothing would work right. As a matter of fact, this place would either be a total dangerous storm or it would be a total and dangerous uh, desert. If the moon wasn't right where it is, if it was missing altogether, the tides would completely cover all of the land twice a day if we were alive to experience the second tide. 
And all of that is under his control. This room, the temperature of this room, you being here, the chairs in this room, the lighting, every aspect of this room is completely under his control, even though we still do have a free will. He is the risen and exalted king over everything. There is nothing that is not at his feet. So looking at him as king, we've got to see that he is the beginning of all things. He is our creator. Hebrews 1-2. Hebrews 1-2. Back to our landing. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the agent of creation. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. John 1.3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, he was the creator. He was with God at the beginning. He is the beginning of all things. If he's the beginning, he's also the middle of all things. He's our sustainer. Hebrews 1, 3, right in the middle of that. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is our sustainer. And if he's the beginning and if he's the middle, he's also the end of all things. He is our redeemer. Jude, verses 24 and 25 only one chapter in the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Romans eleven thirty six. From him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. He is carrying all of this to a purpose. And so, Philippians 2, 10 through 11, in regards to him as king, to him as priest, and to him as our prophet. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, his lordship has nothing to do with you. And what I mean by that is he is Lord whether he's your Savior or not. See, one day we will call him Lord. Will it be now? Or will it be when it's too late? He sits in control. He sits on the throne. And all he wants from us is to experience the benefits today. Amen. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. 
hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMIAMA.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.